0: Here are just a few reasons why Windstar Cruises is perfect for your clients right now. First, immersive experiences. Windstar's classic sailing and all sweet star plus yachts can reach ports that others can't, taking you to some of the best hidden ports in France, Italy, Spain, Greece, and more. There's also smaller yachts, which means better service and deeper connections made between travelers, crew, and locals. With just 148 to 342 guests aboard each yacht, Windstar is able to provide impeccable attention to detail and unmatched quality in both service and accommodations. Learn more at windstarcruises.com. I'm Emma Weissman. And I'm Jamie Beseda. And this is Trade Secrets, a podcast from Travel Weekly and Travel Age West, where travel advisors ask questions and we answer them.
1: Think of us like Dear Abby, but just for travel agents and in podcast form.
0: Every other week, we're here to answer listener questions with the help of travel industry experts. And today, we're talking all about the relationship between travel advisors and suppliers.
1: We've asked Kate Thomas and Heather Christopher to join us in our discussion today. Kate, Heather... Please tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do. Heather, let's start with you. Hey, it's good to be back in the podcasting
2: space. I own Heather Christopher Travel Consulting and recently acquired Be The Travel um, out of Nashville. I am very much still an active travel advisor and then also managing and assisting 14 other advisors now. And I've been doing this forever since uh, 2006, and just happy to be here. Thank you.
3: All right, guys, thanks for having me here. I'm Kate Thomas. Uh, So I am here kind of in my place in the travel industry is in two two spaces. One is with North and Leisure, my boutique supplier for Ireland and UK, and then uh, also Travel Pro Theory, which is a place for resources and advice and uh, venting, laughing, crying, all the things travel industry related. That's a business that Heather and I actually co-founded together back in 2018. And then I've been um, carrying it on since when, when Heather was 2020.
0: Awesome. I love that. And and actually, can you guys get a little bit more in depth into your origin story? Because it's it's one that I love. And before we hit record, I was I was telling everybody, telling the pair of them and Jamie, that you guys are like the definition of just a successful advisor supplier relationship. But how did that start? What was your, what was your meet cute? Was it meet
3: cute? Yeah, your meet cute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> where where, where did this that. all
2: begin? <laughs> well, um, one time long ago in Woodbridge, <laughs> Virginia, <laughs> Katie cold called my agency that I worked for. I spent 10 years in a storefront agency in Northern Virginia and she cold called us to set up a meeting for her new, I think we called you a tour operator back then, like more so. Yes. Yes. And I said, sure. And then Katie came in Mm -hmm. and we hit it off really, really well. Like her and I, I still remember you sitting back because I was at like my boss's desk. I would like moved back to her desk then because I was like the quote unquote manager of the office. And she just like clearly impressed me and blew me away with all her knowledge. And then Katie, you helped me sell that. I like, you did a trip for me like within that week.
3: Yeah, we did it like on the spot. So I came in, I was like cold calling local offices and Heather was like gracious enough to uh, let me come in. And I used to just show up with like
0: cookies or donuts and be like, Hey guys. So um so smart. What a way to win them <laughs> over. <laughs> You'd win my heart too.
3: <laughs> but yeah, we sat down, I think I'm pretty sure we planned most of that trip, like on the spot. Like we were writing notes, but the old pink slips, like the call we missed call. I just remember having like a stack. Yes. A stack of those with notes. And we, I'm, I think we closed that like right away. And then, yeah, we pretty much hit it off on the spot. And then because I was new. I had left my old job and it just started out like on my own as my own business. So we just started talking more and more. And then eventually when Heather left that agency and started off on her own, we just had more and more to talk about. And I don't even know how it
0: happened, but like we quickly became work wives. Love it. <laughs> That's love awesome. Love it. And you saw a need to, for just to quickly chat about travel pro theory, a space for travel industry professionals whether advisors or suppliers to get together, share challenges, share successes and it's been an amazing space for people and i highly recommend everyone who's listening to go check out travel pro theory on instagram and you know we'll we'll say a little bit later on in the episode where else you can connect with kate and heather.
3: Yeah, travel pro theory actually i have to like shout out to we call we refer to him as the, our business manager, my husband Nick. He we were talking travel. We were talking shop so much that he was like, you should record this. And then that's when the podcast started. And so that's how that's how Travel Pro Theory came to be. So cool! That's awesome.
1: So we do have some questions for you guys to answer. But before we get to them, let's take a minute to just talk about supplier advisor relationships in general.
0: Like I said, we've been talking about travel pro theory, but like, what is your kind of hot take on this relationship? Your 3,000 foot view on the subject, advisors, suppliers, and that nuanced, complex relationship that they share. Heather, let's start with you.
2: There is a ton of misunderstanding and a huge lack of communication. I think this is recording on whatever date today is, June, you know, twenty two. It's kind of interesting to record this topic right now when it feels like the, it's a, like a tightrope we're all walking on because of the status of, of travel and selling travel right now. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: there is just such a huge misunderstanding. And Katie and I, going back to travel for theory, the reason that came about was because we recognize the need. For these conversations to occur, the industry is very secretive, especially on the supplier side, for whatever reason. And Katie got it to a degree that nobody else got it, for lack of a better word. Um, We just understood each other. And so I kind of want to say it's a little bit of a hot mess right now. That's not 3000 phobia. I hate to say that. It's a little bit of a hot mess.
3: Mm -hmm. It it is. Let's be honest. Yep. Yeah, Hot Mess, I do think, describes it (laughs) best right now. I mean, to me, the supplier-advisor relationship, it's one of those things where when it works, when it really works, oh, it is perfection. It is magic. You both make more money. You both enjoy it more. You close more sales. Clients are happy. It's like rainbows, butterflies, puppies, everything good is happening. And when it doesn't work, oh, it is so painful to just like white knuckle your way through a trip planning process. And to me, I think, I don't even know that it's a, it's not really a hot take, but like, if we're stepping back, like, you know, bird's eye view, looking at it, I think of the supplier advisor relationship. Well, like really all the different relationships within the travel industry, right? It's a house of cards. If one layer falls, like we keep looking at ourselves in like silos of like suppliers versus advisors, and it's not that, like, if, <laughs> if one goes down, it impacts the other. And it's so connected. So we've always been in support of the relationship. That's, you know, we have talk about it. We're trying to like share each perspective. This year has absolutely, I think, tested those relationships more than any other time since we've been in the industry.
1: Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, you know, obviously with the two of you, it works, but would yes. you say, most of the time, I mean, do, does it work or does it not work for most advisors and suppliers? Like, are you guys a unicorn here?
2: (laughs) I swear to God we are. And I don't mean that in a, in a snotty vein anyway, but I will come to Katie so frequently and be like, why are we the only ones like this? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and as somebody who is trying to mentor and, you know, educate and, you know, help, especially new greener advisors in this industry, I wish I could figure out how to teach this. Katie and I've said this on TPT, but like, I swear it goes back to how we came up in the industry. And that's something we, that was the whole point of the podcast. It was like replicate how we were brought up in the industry, which was sitting beside people all day, every day in an office, being told yes or no. When you need criticism, it happened Instantly, and you know, it wasn't taken personally, like nobody was. We also weren't as offended as a culture 15 years yeah. ago. I, I do think sometimes we are the unicorn, and I say that from the perspective of watching all the advisors, you know, connected to me literally five minutes before this recording. I was coaching somebody through a situation that we're trying to figure out with the DMC, and I don't know. So, I would, Jamie, to answer your question, I would say that it's probably like 60, 40, 60% not working, 40% working. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: I would, I would agree. If not higher, I feel like I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah. I think it's gotten harder over time. I mean, compared to like, you know, seven, eight years ago, uh, I think the percentage of it working has, gone down. And there's so many factors that go into that. Like a lot of it, just like Heather said, the way like we came up in the industry was just very different. At the time, you it was unusual to just jump into travel and immediately like have your own brand be be independent, have your own company. Like we all worked for someone. So yeah, there was like this constant feedback loop that was very educational and really shortened the time to like get from like entry level to, okay, now I can sell pretty independently without as much support. Mm-hmm. And I feel for like, especially travel advisors coming into the industry now, because it's really hard. It's a lot of people are self-sourcing their education, but it does allow for, yeah, it's harder to exchange criticism for lack of a better word. Whereas I think with Heather and I it could be like, it's, we can quickly break down even in our, whether it's, we're talking about Separate situations, like in my business or her business or stuff we've worked on together, be like, hey, yeah, like post mortem, like this worked, this didn't work. Now we know for next time. And there's no hard feelings. Like we grow. Every trip we do together, we improve and grow from it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Kate, something you just said is a really good segue into our first listener story. We actually had a voicemail come in that's more more of a story, but what's really interesting about it before I uh, play the voicemail is that this travel advisor is new. She's been in the industry for about a year and she has heard just from her travel advisor network that Suppliers sometimes aren't as attentive or they don't really give advisors the time of day. And that was her perception pretty early on, just that you're going to come up against a brick wall and you're probably not going to have that really great supplier relationship that you two exhibit. So let's hear from her. It's Mary Therese Dinga. She called in with a story of her own.
4: Hi, Emma and Jamie. This is Mary Therese Dinga and Addicted to Travel in Louisville, Kentucky. And as I think about relationships with BDMs, I have a pretty good success story that I'd like to share. I've only been an agent about a year now, and when going through my host agency training, they encourage us to get to know the BDMs, interview them like they're our vendor, and see if we want to work with that individual. But when I talk with other much more experienced agents, many of them say, don't waste your time. BDMs are, you know, most of them aren't going to give you the time of day. So, an opportunity came up and I had a client call me with a trip that was a little too big for me. It was a group on a small luxury ship. They weren't exactly sure what they wanted to do, but they did know when they wanted to go. And so I called one of the BDMs who I was really impressed with in a training session, and amazingly, she answered her phone. On the second ring, she acted like she remembered who I was, but I know she meets hundreds of agents all the time, and she helped me put together an optimal trip for this group. She had her group salesperson call me back within two hours with marketing materials and a nice promotion I could share with the client, and then she herself, my BDM, reached out directly to me and offered $200 onboard credit per cabin, if I wanted to add it to the package. I was wowed. I appreciated the great service. So my advice is reach out and try and get to know those BDMs because they are very useful. And so far, I have not been disappointed. Thanks again, Emma and Jamie. Love your show. Bye.
0: So a little bit different than what you two have. It's talking about a BDM in a a larger company.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's a great story. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's interesting that her perception turned out to be, you know, n- incorrect in this case, but I, you know, I do find it interesting that advisors were telling her that BDMs wouldn't give her the time of the day. Do you find that that's the case? Like are attentive BDMs needles in the proverbial haystack?
2: Yes, they are. I hate to say that, but I think it's for a few reasons. I think they're either not empowered their literal job is like, it's a true marketing position instead of being a business, like their true business development, not support for it. Like they need to change the role to like business marketing. Like that's what it is. They're just here to sell a product. Right. And so, yes, that I do think they're rare to have someone, but I also would like, I don't, I don't think any of us should be shocked just in the sense of like getting humans to show up for humans in general right now is pretty difficult so <laughs> i think it's i don't think it's just us you know in the travel industry i think that could be said for any industry right now i i don't think what she said is incorrect though she put the time in to try and i think that's half the battle you can't expect something you can't expect people to read your minds tell them what you want be specific don't expect that it's just going to show up now granted if you've done a and b and c and it's still not showing up all right cool. Maybe you need to find another loop or you need to put your money elsewhere and encourage your clients to do the same. You know, don't let the industry be as secretive as it wants to be. Like I try to have honest conversations with my clients when I'm like, Hey, they're not being supportive. Why why are we doing this? Let's Mm -hmm. take our money elsewhere. You know, money talks in that way. So I'm really, I'm glad she had a positive experience, especially as a new advisor, when it's so precarious of like, just making sure she feels supported. So
0: it's good. And she came into the industry at a time, you know, like at the beginning of the pandemic, when those long wait times, when you were working with like big suppliers was just, everybody was talking about it. And Kate, I want to hear from you because this kind of, made me think about an op-ed that you actually wrote for Travel Age West about why advisors are frustrated right now, clients are frustrated right now, but also suppliers. So I mean this perception of BDMs not being attentive is an advisor perspective, but as a supplier, what's your frustration on the other side of things?
3: Yeah, if as a supplier like the frustrations that I'm having and then again in like background conversations with like supplier colleague friends because we're all kind of seeing the same thing especially this year, but it's been amplifying over time is we really, really feel it on that lack of barrier to entry into the industry. So like we were saying earlier, so many advisors starting out having to source their own education and get that experience, which can be hard to do if your experience is based on your own sales. When you walk in, it takes a while to build that book of business up. But you need to start building those relationships right away. So, like personally, I've noticed back in 2019, which was my busiest year, you know, until we all know what happened (laughs) right after that. uh, I was, you know, tracking my numbers. And so I would do like a handful of direct traveler bookings a year, not a lot. The data was skewed definitely more towards advisors, but I can tell you without a doubt, like hard numbers, the amount of communication needed back and forth between an advisor client versus a traveler was significant. It is such a huge time spend. And I think it's important for advisors to remember the reason this relationship exists. It exists to save all of us time and to sell at the end of the day, right? That's what we're all in this business for. So advisors need to be the expert in their clients. Your supplier needs to be expert in the destination and their partners on the ground. And then your partners on the ground need to like actually carry out the service and make it all great and meet those expectations for your clients. And I think where it gets messed up is there's so much overlap that it often feels like, what is what I would view the responsibility of the advisor gets hot potatoed, as I like to say, over to the supplier. They just like to be like, oh, yeah, I don't know duh, 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 this and that. They want multiple options, they want more detail. They want the expectations of what we do for clients has increased over the years. So now we all have these extra touch points welcome letters, welcome amenities, different points of contact, and far more detail in an itinerary compared to five years ago. Mm-hmm. And now those expectations are have been transferred over to the supplier. So the time spent is just so high just on the proposals alone. And then you add in that layer of education to the advisor because maybe you're working with a newer advisor and they haven't booked an FIT before and they don't know what's typical. And you're just spending so much time just educating on little basic stuff that isn't hard necessarily, but it's time consuming. But then the flip side of that is advisors get upset with suppliers when we can't reply quickly enough, but like right. we're buried in so much work. It's like, yes, it would be great if I could pick up the phone on the first string every time, but also then your proposals would never get done. So right. it's that balance that's, it's really difficult sometimes.
0: So then what would, would your advice be to advisors similar to what Mary Therese did? Like, Kind of like do your due diligence and like scope out the scene before you actually pick up the phone and make that call?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think one common thing that Heather and I hear a lot is advisors that are struggling to source suppliers or DMCs. They don't know who to work with for what. So my advice there is start in the off season and get some of that research done beforehand, before you have a trip request in hand. And then once you do actually have a trip request, take steps to to make sure you're saving as much time as possible so that you don't waste each other's time. So that could be anything. It's just like vetting the client out really well, charging a fee so that they're invested in that trip, and then sending your supplier like the right amount of information. I realize that sounds big. You don't want to be the person that's like, hey, I need seven nights in Ireland. Can you help? That's useless. But you also don't need to send like you know, a four page novel with their their backstory, just like hit the details, get us what we need so that we can quickly like take it, assess, and put it together and and go from there.
1: Mm-hmm. right? That's great advice for sure. We'll get to some more questions after the break.
0: We're back with more reasons why Windstar Cruises is a great choice for travelers right now. Foodies will look forward to James Beard Foundation Cuisine and award-winning chefs prepare each meal to clients' tastes, incorporating local port-to-plate ingredients to create authentic dishes every day. There's also unrivaled amenities. Clients can relax in suites, recharge with complimentary fitness classes, have access to World Spa by Windstar, swim, paddleboard, kayak, and jet ski, and feel as if they're aboard a private yacht on a visit to the ship's open bridge. Learn more at windstarcruises.com.
1: All right. We're back talking supplier advisor relationships with Kate Thomas and Heather Christopher. So next, we've got a question from Lena Sutton of Go Wander Travel. Here's what she wrote in. I had the opportunity to see Bruce Puntip, the founder of G Adventures, speak at the recent Travel Leaders Conference and was truly moved by his profound message of promoting responsible tourism. It's totally made me rethink the way I approach my work as a travel advisor. And now more than ever, I want to be committed to working with supplier partners who strive to benefit local communities. During the vetting process, as an advisor, what questions do I need to be asking and what questions are appropriate to ask to uncover more about the supplier partner's values and where their
0: tourism dollars go? Heather, why don't we start with you?
2: The first thing I would do is I'd probably do some of my own research. I mean, I think a lot of those things are typically listed on a company website. So in terms of doing some like prelim research, but then I think a lot of that, just making sure they align with your own, you know, I don't know if that's like a social view or how you're really sustainability view or whatever, however, whatever word you want to give it is meeting them on the ground. You're going to know that in a few seconds, talking to somebody, arranging meetings to kind of piggyback on what Katie just said about like doing the work in the off season, that's work to me that gets done in the off season. That's reading articles in, you know, in travel trades like travel weekly and travel age west and keeping up to date with that. So you know and prepared, that's a hot topic right now. So I feel like it's really easy to find that information. I also think that those things thing, those things come naturally. Like if you make your choices to be, if you're you know on Instagram and you're looking for sustainable clothing, guess what else is going to pop up? Sustainable everything. So, like, make conscious decisions everywhere on the internet so that the internet spies can follow you around and then provide that information to you. And you don't even have to go look for it then. Go to show up in your sponsored feed.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. Kate, do you have advisors asking you about sustainability? I'm not that
3: much. To be honest, again, I think this is work that's done in the off season, especially like Heather was saying, like on the ground, you're going to pick up on that stuff right away in an actual face-to-face conversation. So conferences are a great place to do this. I think unless sustainability or benefiting local communities is absolutely a deal breaker to you or your client, then that would be the time to ask it if you actually have a trip in hand. Do you know what I mean? Because if you're already sending a request, like You're kind of already at the ask. So, that research needs to be done ahead of time. I think the good news here is that ultimately, no matter where you book, like some companies obviously are more focused on this than others, but like at the end of the day, whether you use one supplier for this or one supplier for that, like the the money is still in, like the ground vendors remain the same between all of us that we contract with. Um, and so your tourism tourism dollars are going to people on the ground and it is ultimately benefiting local communities. so I think there is a little silver lining there that just to give everyone a little a slight bit of a break that this doesn't have to be the hill you gotta die on to research to the nth degree um, focus on relationships and if you really want to have a focus on, Again, being very local, I would just focus on smaller companies because smaller companies are doing less volume, which means we can take on something that would be, for lack of a better word, more annoying to work with. (laughs) And just in terms of the work process itself, like, you know how it is. Somebody can have a great product, but like, I got to call them up and like jump through 10 hoops to get it booked. And a company that's doing like high, high volume, they just can't do that. They really cannot spend the time spent. On that kind of thing. So, smaller companies can work with more smaller um, vendors on the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one quick note about sustainability. Uh, I was listening to a panel yesterday, a travel industry forecast uh, hosted by Asta, who are having their legislative day today. And um, Matthew Upchurch was on the panel from Virtuoso. I think we we all know who he is. And he was talking about sustainability and people. You know, hear that word and they might think they're not an expert in it. Like, oh gosh, I'm gonna have this client come in who has a PhD in environmental science and he's gonna be grilling me about sustainability and I'm not an expert in that. But really, like if you if you work with organizations and align yourself with people who tell good stories and they think about the local community, then that's kind of like an easy way to enter that niche. And he was also saying that people think sustainability is all about the planet and conservation, but it is about so much more than that. Like Kate, you were mentioning tourism dollars in the local economy preserving local cultures, things like that. That's all wrapped up into the sustainability bubble. I do want to point everyone to a resource. Uh, Tourism Cares is a travel industry nonprofit. They have more than 160 members, and they're all committed to responsible travel. So if you're looking for a place to start researching this, head over to Tourism Cares' website, and we'll link that in the show notes.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the past couple of years, I mean, sustainability has become such a buzzword that it's almost like lost all meaning. But when you talk about things like working with smaller local companies, Kate, like you had mentioned, I mean, that really does kind of like take the pressure off like the idea of sustainability. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, it feels so big. And and you're right. It is everywhere now. So it can feel a little um, like greenwashing, you know, like, oh, I have to buy the natural of the, and it's, and then it all looks the same. And suddenly you have a thousand more choices. So focus on the relationships, right? You want to build a great relationship with your supplier. You want your supplier to have really good relationships to their people directly on the ground. And Heather and I have done this in the past um, where we've like taken a look at How many people is like one individual trip? How many people directly on the ground is it touching? And it is so many because you have the hotels, you have all the staff at those hotels, you have the restaurants that they're visiting, the attractions that they're visiting, supporting the staff and families there. There's the driver guide who's picking you up. There's people at the rental car desk. Like there's, it just supports tourism in general supports so many jobs and when people can have jobs and create disposable income, they could do better things with it in the world. So I think we can like, not that sustainability isn't important. It absolutely is. And you could go to these resources, but again, like, just find, find a way to do it. That isn't like limiting you in such a way that you're like, Oh, if it doesn't have these exact labels or accreditations, it
0: won't work. Nice. We have another question. This one comes from Sita Romanathan, the owner of Curated Greece, a boutique DMC in and for Greece. While Sita is technically a supplier and we usually tackle advisor questions, we're more than happy to answer this one. So here's what she wrote in. I wanted to ask about paying commissions to advisors. We require a commission invoice from advisors or their host agency. Is that common practice from DMCs? Also, we're getting so many questions about final documents from advisors. We as a DMC haven't ever had vouchers. Our suppliers work as clients and a lead traveler's name. What are advisors expecting from DMCs in terms of final documents? Thanks and looking forward to learning more here. Kate, I think this one is probably best suited for you. So maybe we'll start with you and then we'll hop on over to Heather.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as requiring a invoice... Uh, from advisors to send commission. I think, I mean, it's not uncommon. Heather could probably comment more on that. That's not something like I personally do because my philosophy on this and what I would advise all suppliers who work with the US travel agent market is anywhere you can take away a layer of friction in paying advisors, do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have being late on commission or adding steps, anything that's messing with getting commission to the advisor that sent you that sale is the quickest way to lose trust. And that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. So unless it's absolutely necessary because of your system or whatever, keep it so simple. Like just reach out, be like, hey, what's the best way to send you commission? Or you could give them options if there's only certain ways you can set and be like, Hey, do you want PayPal? Do you want wire transfer? or whatever it is, and just get the details, send the money, make it easy. So for vouchers, I would say um, vouchers and full docs to me are more old school. People do still ask for it. Like back uh, when I first started in the industry, that was common practice just to have like an individual doc for every single thing. And even when I started um, left my old job, started my business, I did that too, just because I was like habit. And then I quickly was like, this is not serving a purpose <laughs> to me or to the end clients. Like no one wants to print all of this. No one wants to read through everything. So what I personally do and what I would encourage other suppliers to do is just like, again, where where can you remove a layer of friction? The less papers you have, the less there is room for error. So just send those confirmation numbers, give the contact details of any drivers, instructions for any tours, and only send a voucher if it's something they actually need to print or show on their phone or have on hand. Um, Just makes it easier because then it calls attention to that like one ticket, two tickets, whatever you have. And as far as advisors that are expecting those docs... I think it's, that's just a simple communication, managing expectations. When they ask, just be like, hey, just so you know, this is how I do things. I like to collaborate on your itinerary uh, builder. So if you're using Travify or Access, um, let me get in there and add those in, or I'll send these in an email to you so that you can add it into your format. I think that's the way to go. It's, it's easier. It's going to save you time, and it saves advisors time.
0: Yeah, and have that conversation at the get-go Soon as yeah. they, soon as they reach out. Mm-hmm. great thank you heather how about you what do you have for sita
2: as far as commission goes i would say it's 50 50 on whether our dmcs expect an invoice or not but and it doesn't bother me either way if i don't have to send one great but i actually don't mind it in the sense that the ones that do require it from us right now get paid instantly like as soon as it's in there within 24 hours we're getting paid and they send proof of that and that's just a really smooth system but we're kind of Neutral, I will say it fascinates me on the supplier side from the fact that you'll have like large corporations that literally pay people do accounting. They're the ones who take 30, 60, 90, 120 days. <laughs> and my tiny guys who have they're they're in the same boat that Katie and I were wearing jack, you know, your jack of all trades, your accounting, your HR, your everybody, and we get it paid in 24 hours. And I'm like, take note, friends. <laughs> um, but from a voucher, this is a hot topic for Katie and I. Because we have a lot of like similar uh, supplier friends and things like that. And recently we were talking about a situation where I had like felt like 1500 vouchers. And I was like, what is happening here? (laughs) I can't do this. I have also encouraged and I'm trying to beg Katie to create this. um, Because she actually has a supplier cheat sheet that she put out on our TP like when I was over at TPT a couple years ago, pre-COVID days, that was great for new advisors. I think it still exists yeah, I still on the website. I don't know. Okay. If anyone needs
3: less. me, I can
2: email it over. I was like, <laughs> Actually sign up for her email, which is only $5 a month. And she'll send it <laughs> next month. Um, but uh, I've been trying to beg her to create one for suppliers because this is an I will admit, and it's again just like hot right now because we're all dealing with everything. But culturally, European DMCs—I'm picking on them just because those are who we deal with a ton—and and over here, but they love to be flexible for everybody, which is amazing. Impossible though, right? And sometimes, just the what we need is just like uh, you mentioned it, Emma. You're like communicate that up front. That doesn't happen. I am big on that. Like I come to a new supplier and I'm like, hey. Heather, this is who I am, and I like bullet point exactly what we do. This is how I work. Does this work for you? Yay or Nate, no? They're gonna say yay. Bless them. They're gonna say yay. And then we find out later that there's like friction because that isn't how they work. Or you know, with Sita, who I actually do work with and love personally, I'd said to her, I was like, tell me how you want this. Do you want to be a collaborator? Tell me. Tell me what your voucher system, your product system is actually. Working with the new one for Tahiti a couple of weeks ago, I said, Hey, I just realized we've never done docs, final docs together. What does that look like? When should I anticipate those? And she wrote back and said, Yeah, this is our process. Fabulous. I will now make notes on my end. I will share that with the team. Everybody's on the same page. And I think we need to remember as advisors and suppliers, final docs is just an industry term. Doesn't actually mean I'm looking for documents, means. Maybe we need to change it to final itinerary, but y'all know how long it takes for the industry to like catch up with the new word. So (laughs) (laughs) let's just keep calling it final docs and not complicate this. But it's just a term. It's not, we're just looking for confirmation numbers, you know, phone numbers, whoever the emergency contact is. Don't make me go and ask you 14 times for the same thing. Like, give me that in a really, you know, a document you've already made up. Great. Those are the things we do on our end. Like we've created documents for our travelers to save us time and speed up so they don't ask us the same question repeatedly. I would love to see that happen more on the supplier side of them creating the same thing so that we're not having to bother them as much. I mean, we all know we were going to have people that just don't read and that happens, but at least you can just plug and play, you know? Yep. You didn't read? Great. Here it is again. Like I'm just going to attach it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would love to see that. And I feel like TPT's whole goal was educating both sides of that. So I really hope that we finally get there coming through this, that we'll get everybody on the same page slowly, but surely of like, we can do this together, y'all.
4: Yeah,
3: we'll get there. My my quick, quick advice to DMCs, if any other suppliers are listening, is anything you want to send when in doubt, you want it to be a resource and not a chore. It's like, this helps me or am I reading 70 pages
0: to find something? Right. Mm -hmm. That's a really good distinction because like you said, Heather, like some people don't read and I'm the type of person who I will read what's necessary and what's important. But if I am given a 70 page document, I'm going to skim it first. (laughs) I'm just going to look for what I need to know. So have everything important just right up front. Definitely. Totally agree.
1: Awesome. So we also heard from Lindsay Devi, a travel advisor with Houlihan Travel. This question also kind of touches on vetting supplier partners. So Lindsay is curious about qualifying questions that are helpful and important for suppliers to know, aside from the obvious slash typical client details, you know, like budget, date, number of travelers. So what is helpful and what's not helpful also? <laughs>
2: You got to bring back that supplier document. It's
3: time. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'll sell it. $99. (laughs) Bust out the supplier cheat sheet. Yeah. Because it was designed for exactly this and mainly so that I could save myself time. Like, this is what I need. Um, But the short version of this, I would say, split this out in your mind into two buckets, right? One is the basics you've got to get dates, number of rooms, travelers, budget. That stuff. That's the stuff you need to get a good quote, an accurate quote. The other part that you need is their priorities. Really, that's it. When you're in a consult, yes, you're getting to know them, you're building rapport. You don't need the. They, they'll probably give you a laundry list. That's fine. Get to like their top three. What is it that you want to do before you come home? Because what you're getting is like their list. Of what you hit, like if I tick these boxes, you're gonna say yes to this trip. That's what you're getting. So as a supplier, that's what I want. Hit it in bullet points, keep it quick. And I I wanna like make sure I'm saying this because in the past on TBT, like I've been on the record being like, no, send us more information. It is, and everyone has gratefully, they've listened. And now it's gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> I retract what I said earlier. Yeah, I, re- I retract. Like, Not that I don't want to know more about your clients and all of their hopes and dreams, but like, help me get there faster. The same way as an advisor, you don't want to read through 70 docs. I don't want to read through extra information. I want to know, like, okay, this is what I need to like put together the pricing and check availability and get this accurate. And this is the things that if I pulled this off, this is it. This is the trip. They're going to say yes. And the closer you hit that on the first try, the higher your sales close rate is going to go. Every time you have to go back and do revisions, it it erodes that a little bit. So you really want to try and hit that on that first ask, that initial request. Mm -hmm. That's great advice.
1: Well, that about wraps our episode today. Heather, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find you?
3: all right guys thanks for having us you can find me on instagram at north and leisure or at travel pro theory and at travel pro theory as heather mentioned earlier we've i've turned all of that content into a bi-monthly email called the digest so you can try your first out first month out for one dollar it's five bucks a month after that and it's how to use advice templates as they apply uh, the first month was going over budgets now i'm in a whole supplier series so if you have any questions about that, you can hit me up. But yeah, Instagram is always the quickest way to find me and get me.
2: Thank you for having me. Also, it was so fun to, to do this again. And you can find me at Heather Christopher Travel and be the travel.
0: Thanks, um, guys. and you know, for $5 a month, that's like one Starbucks coffee tall size now. So just give up one coffee a month and you've got all of those great resources from Travel Pro Theory. Highly recommend. So thanks so much Heather and Kate. It really has been a pleasure having you on the show. And thanks to everyone for
1: listening in as well. And for those of you who submitted questions, please review, rate, and subscribe to Trade Secrets. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: And if you've got a question, we'd love to answer it. Call our Trade Secrets hotline at 201-902-2098 and leave us a voicemail with your question. You can also email us at secrets at travelweekly.com. Our theme song is Sock Hop
1: by Kevin McLeod. And again, if you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you.
2: registration for Travel Weekly's Cruise World is now open. The annual event is taking place in Fort Lauderdale, November 2nd through 4th. Travel advisors can participate in supplier training sessions, hear from industry leadership, learn from their peers, walk the exhibitor showcase floor, and tour some of the newest ships on the water. To register and to learn about Cruise World's unique semi-hosted star program, visit cruiseworldshow.com.